Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. So he basically called me a racist because I was asking questions about communist China regime. So, I mean, I just find that it's, it's, it's so, uh, it, it's not even worthy, I felt, of even a response because it's so low. But what's particularly disturbing about it, Roy, is this is exactly what the communist government in China uses to try to shut down dissent. The deputy leader of the Conservative Party of Canada on this program about three weeks ago, speaking about her exchange with uh, the prime minister about the biosecurity lab in Winnipeg. We're going to be talking about that as part of our segment coming up. Uh, And the response from the prime minister, where he suggested somewhat slyly that maybe uh, the deputy leader of the Conservative Party was hedging toward racism when she was doing anything of the Gordon kind. Holden is the uh, director emeritus of the China Institute at the University of Alberta. He's an expert on China. He was uh, stationed in China as a diplomat for this country on a new number of occasions. And we always appreciate speaking with Professor Holden, political science professor at the University of Alberta as well, about the issues between China and this country. So as you look at a number of issues to talk about as far as China and the relationships of China with this country and other countries uh, is concerned, as you look at what came out of the G7, are you encouraged? Do you feel that something substantive has happened or did they conclude what they were going to talk about before they even began the, the G7 meetings when they come out saying they're going to fight climate change and agree to challenge China's non-market economic practices and call out Beijing for rights abuses in Jinping and Hong Kong. And the prime minister said that he had had conversations with Joe Biden, President Biden, about the two Michaels. Was that all agreed to before they started? My experience is that these things are carefully pre-cooked. The last thing the officials and perhaps even leaders want is blow up disputes as a cap and action can in 2018. So they, the text uh, painfully negotiated. I'm not suggesting they can't be changed on, uh, at, the, at the last minute or at the meeting itself. I think more important is the chemistry of the leaders. They get to size each other up and get to know each other a bit better, look each other in their eyes. That, I think, has real value. Um, and that's been suspended, of course, thanks to COVID. But the actual text and agreements, those are... Ninety percent, I'd argue, hammered out by officials uh, weeks, sometimes even months before the actual meeting. Okay. So let me ask you, before we get into any other issues, about uh, the relationship between China and Canada. Let's start with the what should be the most important to us, and that is the fate of two Canadians who have been held hostage by China. Uh, Michael Kovrig for, I think, 915 days today. 915 days for Michael Kovrig. What, what are the two Michaels to the Xi government? Are they just useful pawns in a fight with Canada over Meng Jiawen? I think that is the case. Um, the, the timing of their arrest just days after the, the detention of Madame Meng is, was suspicious from the get-go. And the Chinese have danced around the question of whether they're linked or not, mostly saying they haven't been, but this, uh, the mask has slipped on a couple occasions. Um, on the other hand, I mean, it hasn't worked for them, has it? And what we haven't seen, thank goodness, is uh, at any given time, there are tens of thousands of Canadian citizens in China, not counting Hong Kong, where there are 300,000. What we haven't seen is repetition of that. If that was working really well, or if, they, if the Chinese side thought that would work, um, they could have and might have detained many more. The fact that 
those two, sadly, for them and their families and all of us, uh, tells me that uh, that that tactic hasn't worked and the Chinese recognize it hasn't worked, so far at least. You, in 2019, and uh, you've talked to us about this in the past, but I want to bring it up again in 2019, you led a Canadian delegation to China, including, uh, included in the delegation, were several former cabinet ministers in Stephen Harper's government. When you consider that uh, your own personal experience, and over the years, Gordon, with China, and then you look at what's been developing or what's been uh, said and the exchanges that have happened, generally one-sided with China challenging Canada, with the Chinese ambassadors, Canada being uh, very rough on this country in their evaluations and assessment of who we are. How does China view Canada? What is Canada to China, to the Chinese government? Well, I think um, I try to be just as objective as I can. Um, our importance to China has been declining over time as China has risen. Um, back in 1970, when we established relations, um, we were uh, relatively more powerful internationally, one could argue, perhaps even as, than China itself. Our economy was larger than China's. Uh, China's economy has expanded far faster and, than, than Western economies, and they have more sense of themselves and they have more clout internationally than they did before. I think we still matter. We just matter somewhat less. And when it comes to this federal government defending China, and we just heard the deputy leader of the Conservative Party of Canada on this program three weeks ago, played the voice clip, where the prime minister accused uh, Candace Bergen of edging toward racism for her challenges, and it had to do with the biosecurity lab in Winnipeg. I'll ask you about that in a moment. When it comes to this government defending uh, China, and the health minister suggesting a reporter who was asking questions about COVID in the early days of COVID might be heading toward being racist toward China, uh, does that does that serve any purpose other than trying to ingratiate yourself with Beijing? Uh, how do you assess what's being done here? Well, it might be that, or perhaps trying to ingratiate themselves with the almost two million um, strong community of Canadians of Chinese heritage. I think playing the race card is a very tricky thing that should, as much as possible, be minimized. Uh, that said, I do know that a lot of Canadians of Chinese heritage feel uncomfortable. Um, because while I think the, the political and, and uh, reporters, political reporters, uh, are, can and must be critical of China as needed, sometimes in the public it just colors their whole impression of the country and the people um, with all of the subtlety gone. And they may, and you've seen an uptick in the number of anti-Asian uh, hate crimes in this country. Uh, and so it's, but you can't stop, nor should we try to stop people from being critical of China where it's warranted. So I'm, uh, I'm of the view that we need to fire away freely when we see things we don't like, and there's lots to not like. Um, on the other hand, I think it doesn't hurt. Uh, I think it helps to continue to make it clear that we're not talking about Chinese people, we're not talking about Chinese cultural language, we're just focused on the actions of the Chinese government and the party. And I think that distinction needs to be continued to be made so that the public at large um, don't get carried away with anti-China sentiment sh shifting into anti-Chinese sentiment. So it's, I think it takes a little bit of subtlety, but people should not feel constrained in being critical. We're a free country, a democracy, free press. Um, go for it. Just try and separate, I would plead, between criticism of what the Chinese government does 
and the people who are uh, who don't run the government, quite frankly, they didn't elect it, they didn't choose it. So blaming all of them for what the government does is particularly unfair. Yeah, focused questions and focused challenges of what Beijing is doing is what it's about. And if the challenges are deserved and, and earned, then that's what we must do. But we must also understand that it has nothing to do with the person who just happens to be living next door, who happens to be Asian. This is a, this is a, a challenge of a government and policies as opposed to taking on and, uh, and degrading individual people. This completely different Absolutely. reality. But you're right. It has to be reminded. We, we at least have to keep it in mind. But we should also have... A situation where you don't have a prime minister suggesting to a deputy leader of the conservative party, the official opposition party, that you're being racist when you're asking questions about the access of PLA, People's Liberation Army scientists, to the Winnipeg Biosecurity Lab. That's a, I mean, those, that if anybody's mixing up uh, the, the the issue or, or or playing fast and loose with uh, with credibility, it's it's Trudeau if he's doing that to uh, Bergen. What I have to come back to the two Michaels, Gordon. What is it that gets these men out of Chinese custody? What gets them out of the Beijing government's custody? Is there only one way? Yeah, I wish there were multiple ways. I think there's maybe variations on the one way. And I, I think the, the solution to the Meng Wanzhou case is inextricably linked in Chinese eyes. Not in our eyes, but in theirs. And that matters since they hold the two Michaels. I think a key component, though, is the United States. And I think that's the background reason why we saw our ambassador in Washington recently, our ambassador to Beijing in Washington, and why uh, Prime Minister Trudeau raised two Michaels with President Biden. Uh, this whole thing started with the detention of Madame Meng. Um, it will end, I suspect, with either overt, an open U.S. role, or behind-the-scenes U.S. role in solving the issue of Madame Meng on that extradition request. Uh, but the, I don't see it happening right away. Um, if it was going to be easy to solve in terms of working with Washington, it would have been done two years ago. It isn't, and it won't be done right away, in my view. But I, I fear that that is the only way. Madame Meng, in some fashion, is allowed to leave. North America, um, and that probably means an important U.S. role and probably direct discussions between uh, the United States and China. At least they have discussions at a senior level, which we don't have any longer since this uh, uh, conundrum arose back in 2018. Okay, let me go to the Winnipeg story, or the Winnipeg Biosecurity Lab story. What's your overview of this developing situation, the loose ends and the concerns about People's Liberation Army access to supposedly the most secure microbiology laboratory in Canada, one of the most secure laboratories in the country, in the world, where the most dangerous pathogens on Earth are stored and studies. Uh, we had two scientists walked out of the lab and fired, and CSIS had concerns, I imagine still has concerns, and the Trudeau government is refusing to comply with the parliamentary committee's demands for complete information into this situation. How do you put all that together? Well, it's, um, I think there's, at the minimum, some errors in, in administrative procedures. That's at the most benign end of it. And at the other end, and I, I can't, I won't speak to potential roles of those two particular scientists in detail because I don't know the, all the detail, which is details held by the RCMP and by CSIS and by the, and by the um, uh, Canadian Health Agency and Health Canada uh, and the Chinese, I presume. 
But um, when you're involving um, highly sensitive um, level four labs, there's only a handful of them on Earth, there's only one in Canada, um, caution is needed. And it would appear that at a minimum, some rules were bent or broken of the lack of oversight. Um, we, we don't know um, whether these two scientists who were escorted out of the lab, uh, whether they were bending the rules or they had been undermining the rules deliberately um, to benefit China. Um, both are possibilities. I, I, I would hope that we get some clarity, um, but often when you're dealing with issues of intelligence and analysis, um, there is the agencies involved themselves, that includes CSIS, the don't want to be out in the sunshine because it reveals their methods and approaches and how they do business. So I, I think we may, it may be some time and we may never know the complete story. And sometimes intelligence is uncertain as its outcomes, a bit like the U.S. government now looking at the origins of COVID-19. Uh, intelligence agencies, President Biden just said today at Cornwall, the G7, uh, I'm not really sure about the origins of COVID-19 because the intelligence community is not certain either. And I think in our case, a smaller case, but important, um, we even intelligence agencies may not be certain as to why this happened. Mm-hmm. Was it just collaboration with people they knew in Wuhan, or was it something more sinister? I hope we find out. But in the meantime, I would argue we do need greater caution, especially when dealing with countries that are rivals, to make sure that we're not being naive and taken advantage of. Yeah. Not the first time I've heard the word naive uh, in relation to this particular story. If you want to hear more, subscribe to The Roy Green Show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorites. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review and tell a friend. I'm Roy Green. Have a great weekend.